If you would take your scriptures, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. We'll be reading 11 through 22. Ephesians chapter 2, 11 through 22. Would you give ear to the reading of God's word? Therefore, remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us, made both one, and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and to those who were near. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together for the dwelling place of God in the Spirit. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we know it was not possible that perfection could come through the law. Had it been, Christ would not have needed to come, but he did need to come. Therefore, the law was weak and useless for salvation. Now, through Christ, we have a better hope by which we can draw close to God. We find that hope in the new covenant. Our prayer this morning is for ears to hear and hearts to understand these mysterious and wonderful words of eternal life. Help us to see your glory and to grow in our love and appreciation for all Christ Jesus did for us. We ask this in his name. Amen. We talked a lot about the spiritual condition of men without Christ. Some people get really upset by this. They don't want to hear this kind of preaching. They want to have their ears tickled about what, how wonderful they are and how much God loves them. Yes, God does love his people, and that is a foundation for our faith. But we must never forget his love for us but remember, but the, the gospel tells us we must always remember where we came from. That's extremely important. I love to find passages that, that make knowing our past and how it fits with the gospel. How we are called to know where we came from and, and how we go to get there. How we have to go to get there. Why is this so important? Because it makes clear how dependent we are on Jesus Christ. This is the whole sum of Christianity. We have to have complete trust and hope in Christ and in Christ alone. When you believe, as we do, that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, 
It's extremely important that your salvation to come by grace is to come by grace and not by works. If you do not understand this, then you are in danger of being drawn into a works-driven gospel, which Paul says in Galatians is no gospel at all. The salvation of men can only be accomplished by God working in their hearts to change them. The title of this message is, We Are One in Christ. It's extremely important that you as a believer understand that you are one in Christ. Union with Christ is imperative. For those who are outside of Christ have no part in the gospel which saves. You are drawn to Jesus Christ by the Father. Your hearts were opened to show your need of Jesus Christ and the glorious works he performed. The church Paul is speaking of in this letter is called the Church of Jesus Christ. Christ is declared to be the head of the church and it is called his body. The whole tenor of this letter is to show the important place this church holds in the affairs of God's people. As believers, you are called to be one, not just with Christ, but also with his people. There is a perpendicular relationship with the church, within the church. That is your relationship with God and Christ. There is also a horizontal relationship in the church, and that is with the fellow, your fellow believers. It is imperative that you work on both relationships, building that oneness. Our text is verses 11 through 13. Paul starts in verse 11 to show you once again what you were before Christ came to you. Any serious student of God's word has to give strong consideration to the scripture's claim about man's sinfulness. In these first two chapters, Paul has continually dealt with this. He made it plain in chapter 1, your need of cleansing and that your cleansing had been planned by God from before the foundations of the world. He makes clear what the heritage of believers will be as opposed to those who do not believe. It's a big difference. One goes to hell, one goes to heaven. In chapter 2, Paul made clear that you are all lost in trespasses and sins, the spiritually dead and without any hope within yourselves. He makes known the only hope you can hold on to is the hope given by God's grace in the sending of Jesus Christ. So Paul continually reminds you of what you were before Christ saved you, and he does that again here in verse 11. In verse 12, he tells you what you must constantly remember about yourself. He gives five things to guide you. Paul wants you to take these five things and let them ever be in front of you. These are things you need to remember, you need to work on. Therefore, as a minister of the word, these are things about which I should always be reminding you. That's my job as your minister, to remind you of them. Then in verse 13, he speaks of the hope which God also wants to constantly wants you to constantly remember. Let us examine these verses this morning and learn from God's word about ourselves and the wonderful and glorious gospel that changes lives. 
In the last chapter of chapter 2, Paul wants his readers to consider the great and mighty privileges given to both Jew and Gentile who hear and believe this gospel. The main theme is reconciliation to all who will follow Jesus Christ. It is clear he means Jew and Gentile. To To make his point, he returns once again and states the reason men need Jesus Christ. Verse 11. Therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands. Paul says that you need to remember from where you have come, and he means you as a Jew or a Gentile. This is one of the first things you must proclaim as you present the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, therefore, remember. If you want something to change the way, you want someone to change the way they're doing something, you first have to convince them the way they're doing it now is wrong or ineffective or inefficient. Well, that's exactly what God does. He first shows men, Jew and Gentile, they're wrong in the way they're living their lives. Throughout the scripture, God tells men they're doing it all wrong. Genesis 6, 5 says, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of the man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That's pretty strong condemnation. In Psalm 53, 3, he says, Every one of them is turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There's no one who does good. No, not one. In Jeremiah 2, 5, God, speaking of the people of Israel, says in the NIV, They followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves. In Jeremiah 17, 9, he declares again from the NIV, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. You can't change your heart yourself. The whole message of the Old Testament is to show man his sinfulness. In Romans 7, Paul makes it clear, the whole purpose of the law was to show you your sin. Listen to the words of Romans 15, 4. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. The idea, the idea here is is to focus your attention on how badly you are living this life under your own power and to show you there is a better way. In verse 11, Paul includes two classes of people. He says, Gentiles in the flesh who are called the uncircumcision. He includes the Gentiles in all of this. There are the the peoples of the world who were not a part of the nation of Israel. Israel was called apart from the rest of the world and given God's law. Because of this great gift given, given them, they became very much a separatist group. They didn't want any contact with outsiders. They looked down their noses at the rest of the world. They had the law of God, and to them, that made them something very, very special, putting them on a higher plane than anybody else. They rubbed, they loved to rub noses, rub everybody's nose in that too. They called the Gentiles dogs and uncircumcision. They considered Gentiles as unclean. They tried to keep their contact with them at a minimum. These Gentiles of the first group, Paul says, fall into this state of depravity before God. 
He then mentions the second group, circumcision made in flesh by hands. The second group are the Jews themselves. Yes, the Jews were given the law of God along with a commission to show the rest of the world how wonderful it would be to follow God's law. Early on, this idea of showing the world the faithfulness of God was seen and understood. Rahab from Jericho was accepted into Israel. Later, Ruth the Moabitess, great-grandmother of King David. But along the way, somehow they lost the vision of the commission and became a, a very close society. The whole concept of God's calling, was, calling them was lost. They began to see the physical act of circumcision as the thing that set them apart. God continually called them back to his original plan, but they refused to listen. In Deuteronomy 10, 16, God tells the people, Therefore circumcise the foreskin of your hearts and be stiff-necked no longer. Jeremiah 4, 4 makes the point. Circumcision, circumcise yourselves to the Lord and take away the foreskins of your hearts. You men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my fury come forth like fire and burn so that no one can quench it because of the evil of your doings. Jews were not saved by circumcision done in the flesh. Please understand that. Paul says in Colossians 2.11, In him, in Christ, you are also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. The point being made here is that Jews are just as much sinners as Gentiles. They need the grace offered in Jesus Christ just as much as the Gentiles do. All men are born into sin and have need of a kinsman redeemer. And Jesus Christ is the only redeemer that can redeem Jew or Gentile. So both Jew and Gentile need to remember where they've come from. The Jews have no room to boast over the Gentiles. You were all sinners lost and without hope. What is the gospel of Jesus Christ? The gospel of Jesus Christ is recognizing yourself as a sinner, seeing your need of salvation, recognizing that it is Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone who can save you, placing your hope and trust in him and in him alone. That's the gospel. That's the gospel we each need to be holding on to. In verse 12, Paul continues that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. He makes plain. There are some things that you as a believer must keep ever before your mind, like that at that time. You must remember what you were before Christ saved you. Why is this so important? You know, I kind of wanted to forget all that stuff. But he says I shouldn't. Why is this so important? If you forget what you were, a sinner, without hope, you will begin to believe the lies of Satan. You will think you have always had a good relationship with God. You'll think he has saved you because he needed you. You'll think he called you because you had so much good hidden within. You may even begin to think you have grown so much that even if God were to leave you, 
you would still be a very good person. You will begin to think you are earning everything by your own hard work. Therefore, Paul says that at that time. What is it you're to remember? You were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. The first thing Paul calls you to remember about this former state in which you used to live is that you did not have Jesus Christ. You were lost in your transgressions and sins. You were spiritually dead. You were separated from God. You were separated from Jesus Christ. Lost in this great and terrible sea of sin. You had no worth before God. As Jeremiah 2.5 says, you were worshiping worthless idols and were worthless yourselves. You were Christless, without hope, especially hope of salvation. He does not mean by this that God was totally ignoring you and Christ was doing nothing on your behalf. God knew you before the creation of the world. Isn't that wonderful? God knew me. Christ was working on your salvation while you were still lost in rebellion against Christ and were hopelessly lost. God has not saved you because of any worth you had of your own. Paul says you must see and understand this and must continue to remind yourself of it. Before Christ saved you, you were groping in the darkness, filth, and despair of sin. Wow. You had not yet seen the hope. You have not yet seen the light and holiness of those who know Jesus Christ. In your former state, you had been an unspeakable wretch of a person, but now as a one in union with Jesus Christ, you have been changed and made into a new creation. Paul says you must remember from where you came so that you might all the more appreciate where you're going and what you have become by God's glorious grace. A sinner saved by grace. That's what you've become. God is watching over you. God is helping you through this life. The second thing he wants you to remember is that you were excluded from citizenship. That is citizenship of Israel. Israel was what God called the people he had chosen. To not be a part of Israel was to not be a part of the kingdom of God. You as a non-believer were not a part of the kingdom of God. You had none of the privileges that go along with membership. You were not then a child of the king. You could not bring the concerns of your heart to God and expect an answer. You were cut off. You were excluded. You did not have the privilege of men to guide you who were in God's service. You were all alone. Paul says you need to constantly remind yourself of this terrible state of loneliness that you were in. You knew something was missing in your life. Your heart was empty. As a believer, you're brought into a fellowship not just with Christ, but with all those who are his. This is the whole concept of the church. When you become a believer, you are made a part of the church of Jesus Christ. That means you should come together with a group of believers and place yourself under the authority of those called by God to lead. 
This is for your safety. This is for your protection. As a believer, you are no longer alone, and you must remember that being alone is a sign of rebellion. The people of God are made into a family, a fellowship, and all believers are called into that fellowship. You are told in Hebrews 10, 23 and 25, why this is so important. Let us hold fast to the confession without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. You are called. You're called from the darkness into the light. You're given a responsibility to participate in the kingdom of God. You're given a privilege to participate in the kingdom of God. Paul says, remember your days of rebellion, your loneliness, that you not fall back into it by abandoning the help God has provided through his people. We are to encourage one another. We are to help one another. We are to love one another. The third thing Paul says you need to remember is that you were in your past state strangers to the covenants of promise. Now he speaks of covenants, not covenants. He is speaking of the various additions and improvements God has been revealing to men through history of the one covenant of grace. Even the people of Israel didn't jump right into the full understanding of the covenant of grace. Its full impact was revealed over time through the covenants with Adam, Noah, Abraham, Moses, David, and finally completed in Jesus Christ. All of the blessings of each one of these revelations belong to those who are in Jesus Christ. Those who have not yet been saved do not enjoy the blessings. You, you, before you were saved, were ignorant of these great blessings. You were a stranger to the blessings of the great covenant. Even when told of it, you couldn't understand it. It was foolishness to you and it to all who do not have a new heart. For those who do not know Christ have no place in him. They have no part in the covenant promises, the greatest of which is eternal life. That's where eternal life comes from. It comes from your relationship with Jesus Christ. Paul says it behooves you to keep this at the forefront of your mind and to constantly remind yourself and without Christ... I was lost and I had no promise to fall back on. Isn't that a terrible thought? The fourth thing Paul says you must keep before you is one that many people don't want to hear. He says to ever remember you are having no hope. Why, you might ask, is this so hard for people to accept? Because it excludes your participation in the process of salvation. It says you don't have anything to do with your salvation. It is all the work of God and God alone. Because it excludes you, you have to really stop and think about that. Where is your hope going to come from if you don't have the gospel of Jesus Christ? There is none. If you have just a small bit of hope and as an unbeliever, then you are the one with the power to enter salvation. You can do it yourself. This is a lie that says God is only the provider of salvation. You are the instrument of your own decision. 
as we have seen in the first two chapters thus far, God is the sovereign almighty God and your salvation is totally his works. He gives the new heart. He provides the gifts of faith and repentance. He empowers by his Holy Spirit and he enables through his word. Your salvation is his work and you have nothing in which you can boast. Isn't that wonderful? You know what? I've, I've, I've had pride before about things and you start boasting about it. What do you do? Start enlarging what really happened and Next thing you know, it doesn't even match what really happened. Our hope as believers is based solely on the divine promise. That promise is fulfilled in the perfect life, atoning death, and resurrection victory of Jesus Christ. You had nothing of worth within you to offer God. Your life was a complete washout filled with sin and rebellion. The enemies of your soul had complete control over you. And moved you whichever way they desired. You were their slave. Don't you remember those days? Jesus Christ came into this world to live for his people the perfect life they could never live. He died the atoning death required by God the Father to free them from their bondage. He won the victory over sin, Satan, and death in order to make sure his people would have a way to come to the Father. Paul says you need to continue to remember what your future was before Christ redeemed you. Where were you headed? Remember how hopeless it was. One last thing he called you to remember is that you were without God in the world. He doesn't mean that you didn't know there was a God, for many of you worshipped idols. He means you were living without any knowledge of the true and living God. You had no desire to know him and to serve him. You were seeking gods that could give you what you thought you wanted and not what you really needed. So many try to deny that there is a true and living God. They want to do exactly what Adam and Eve wanted to do. They want to recreate God in their own image. This really sums up the whole thing. As an unbeliever, you were living in this world which was created to be a place of joy and peace for mankind. You had rebelled against God, your creator, and you had made yourself his equal. You had turned your back on him and everything about him. He had let you go and allowed you to do your own thing. You made a mess of it all. No matter how hard you tried to find a reason for life, it faded away and left you empty. You generated hope, but it faded away too. Paul says, remember those empty feelings. Never forget that hopelessness. Let all of those old empty feelings be the backdrop to a new and wonderful and awe-filled life that you have for the you, you, you are going to live for this great and marvelous grace that has changed your life. Paul wants you to remember all these things. He wants you to lay them beside what has happened in your life through Jesus Christ and take note of the difference. Have you ever tried to do that? Looking at your life before you were saved and after you are saved, and what's the difference? There's going to be a great difference. Listen to verse 13. 
But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Because you're in Christ. There has been a change in your relationship with God. You were once far away. In other words, you were separated from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship in his kingdom, foreigners to his covenant promises, without hope and without God. But now, but now because of Jesus Christ and his works, you have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You didn't do it. Christ did it. It does not say you drew near by your own works. It says you have been brought near. You have, because of this nearness and the grace that brought you, have become one with Christ, members of his kingdom, participants in his promises, filled with hope and very, very near to God. You have been saved by grace through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of work, so that no man can boast. Paul says you cannot know and appreciate what you have unless you remember what you came from. You cannot know the power of Christ's shed blood without understanding the sin from which you were saved. You cannot hold on to the promise unless you remember the hopelessness from which you were taken. You cannot give thanks for the worth you have been given in Christ until you see the worthlessness of your previous life. The word of God was written to show you your rebellion, to help you understand your sin. Jesus Christ came to deliver you from this terrible estate of sin and misery through his shed blood. In communion, we're called to remember what he has done for us. You must understand, unless you remember what you were saved from, you cannot understand the purpose of your redemption. This applies to Jew and Gentile. This passage makes it clear no Gentile can be saved without Jesus Christ and no Jew can be saved without Jesus Christ. There are only two classes of people in this world. There are those who are saved and those who are unsaved. No classification matters other than that. In conclusion, please do not be upset when someone reminds you of what you were. And I know as a minister I have people remind me of What I've done wrong, they think it's a great thing to pack the preacher that way. But instead of letting it bother you, let it remind you of what Jesus Christ has done for you on Calvary's cross. Yes, I did that and Christ forgave me. He died for my sin. Jesus Christ has lived the perfect life which you should remember you could not live. He died the atoning death to bring forgiveness to you, which, if you will remember, you were out of reach because of your sin. He won the victory for you when when you did not even have the power to fight for yourself. The Apostle John says in 1 John 4, 19, we love him because he first loved us. You must remember that God loved you because of his own pleasure and goodwill, and even though you were totally unlovely. The title of the message was, We Are One in Christ. The reason for being one in Christ is clearly laid out in all of this. You must be one in Christ because without him, there is no hope of eternal life. 
Remembering who you were and what you were will help you to be continually thankful. Thankful for this grace that has saved your soul. It will help you to remember his love which was given out of grace. It will help you be thankful and willing to tell others who are lost in sin that there is hope if they will just stop, listen, and believe. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, may your eyes ever be open to your people. May you ever hear their prayers. May you always listen when they call on you. For it was you who called them out of the nations of this world to be your inheritance. We gathered here this morning in the name of your only begotten Son because you called us to come. We come as your heirs and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Go with us this week and use us to bring glory to your name. Strengthen our faith. Bless our witness. For it is in Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you would take your hymnals and turn to hymn 355.